uh, we'll, be, we'll be in Mark 10, 46 through 52 today. And even if we haven't met yet, one thing you might have noticed about me is that I have pretty bad eyesight. I need these to see. I can't recognize any face right now. Um, my eyesight is bad enough that I, I usually I can't recognize the faces of my friends or even my family members. And as you can imagine, this has led to a few uh, awkward situations um, and uh, embar embarrassing situations. One of the worst examples of this was after a basketball practice where I forgot to put my contacts in before. Don't ask me how I was able to practice. Uh, the answer is not well. But, uh, but it was after practice. And I was, my, I was expecting my dad to pick me up, like he usually did. And while I was waiting for him, a man came in uh, and stood at the opposite end of the gym, stood by the door. Uh, a lot of my teammates were still there. I was talking to them. I noticed it, but really didn't think anything of it. Uh, and I knew. I knew when my dad got there, he would give me a call and tell me that he was waiting in his car, waiting in the parking lot in his car. Uh, well, I'm sure you can see where this story is going. But some time passed, and I was just hanging out in the bleachers uh, with my friends, just talking. And then I started to complain. <laughs> I started to complain about my dad being late to pick me up. Uh, this wasn't the first time that uh, he had been late, but uh, after it was, it was a good amount of time. And I was just grumbling, <laughs> to, which, to which my friend responded, do you not know what your own dad looks like? He's been standing by the door this entire time, uh, <laughs> which is a little bit more indignant uh, response than I, uh, I cared for. Uh, I, was, I was embarrassed. I was, I was a little shocked at how deeply even my partial, my very partial blindness affected my ability to see. Today, we're going to be looking at a story about a blind man named Bartimaeus, whose physical eyes were unable to see. And it is through his actions in which we are told about the condition of our spiritual eyes. Just by way of review, last week we went through, uh, Jimmy took us through Mark 32 through 45, uh, where we see Christ predicted his death and resurrection for the third time. And for the third time, immediately, we see the disciples miss the point. They hear what they want to hear and are blind to the true meaning of Christ's words. We see how James and John go up to him and ask to sit at his right and left hand in his glory. And they, are, they believe they are able to accomplish this in their own power without Christ. He is just, uh, he's just a means to get to their final, their final seat of glory. They say, we are able but Christ, in his infinite kindness, teaches his disciples and teaches us that true greatness is being a servant to all. And he reveals that to us in himself and tells us that he's going to reveal that to us fully on the cross. In this passage we are looking, we are looking at today, we see true greatness. We see God's heart for his children. But not before we see the awful effects of sin. So my main point for today is that spiritual blindness is a disease that leads to death. But if you turn and call out to Christ for mercy, 
you can be sure he will make you see and love him. Turn in your Bible to Mark 10, verses 46 through 48. The word of the Lord says, And many rebuked, or, or sorry, <laughs> and they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. My first subpoint for today is that an awareness of the possibility of healing makes you all the more desperate for the healer. Now, we need to stop, we need to, looking at this first verse, we see that they come to Jericho, and then immediately they are leaving Jericho. Does that seem strange to you? Why would Mark even include this detail? Sure, it's the historically accurate route that Jesus and his disciples took on their way to Jericho. And sure, it gives us a better idea of what's going on, where, where they're at. But, but I want to also propose to you that we're, we're, we're to understand a little something more from this, from this context. Something that when anybody reading this in the first century would hear the word Jericho, they would be reminded of the city of Jericho. Uh, and this gives us not only the proper context for this story in the Gospel of Mark, but also the proper context of the story in the whole Bible. So let's take a look at this. A, a quick, uh, let's take a quick look at the history of the city our Lord is visiting. And as we see in the book of Joshua, uh, Jericho was the first city given into the hands of Israel after they crossed the Jordan and entered into the Promised Land. Many of you may know may know it as a city that was famous for its, that its walls came tumbling down. It, it was a city in revolt against the Lord, one that was captive to the powers and principalities of this world and blind to their condition. And in order to take the city, as God commanded his people, they marched around it for six days. And on the seventh day, they marched around it seven times and then shouted, with a great shout, blew, blew all their horns. And the great wall surrounding the city fell down flat, and the city was conquered. And now as we continue on in this passage, keep those details in the back of your mind as what has happened in Jericho in the past. What, how Christ, uh, how Israel came to Jericho, Esther coming into the promised land. And it really how we see Christ as the true Israel, fulfilling the story of the nation of Israel. But as we come down from this 30,000-foot view, we start to zero in on a man right outside, right, right outside the gates of Jericho named Bartimaeus. This blind beggar hears that Jesus of Nazareth is coming by and comes to life. He recognizes this is the son of David, the Messiah, and cries out to him, begging for mercy. He's aware of the signs and wonders that Christ has performed. And he's also aware 
that if he was ever to be free from this curse of blindness, this was it. This was his opportunity. This was his hope. The Lord's anointed, who has come to open the eyes that are blind and bring out the prisoners who sit in darkness, was within shouting distance. And the crowd tries to silence him. And when, and when the crowd tries to silence him, he shouts all the more loudly. He will not let this opportunity slip by. This is his only hope. More desperate, all the more desperately, he shouts out to God to have mercy on him. You can only imagine how difficult life must have been for Bartimaeus. <laughs> let's, let's go through a few facts that we learn about him here. He's blind. He's a beggar. And he was sitting by the roadside. Day after day, experiencing the confusion and frustration of darkness without any comforts. The scorching heat by day. The chilling cold at night. Never being able to wander too far from the city gates without worrying about being able to get back. He's poor. No one, with no one to love him, no one to take care of him. So you are forced to beg by the roadside where merciless robbers kill and steal. The reason Christ is able to use the parable of the Good Samaritan, the reason one of the reasons it's so effective, is because more than likely, you or someone you knew has been robbed, has been robbed on the roadside before. This is a, a very relatable situation and very dangerous. So for, for Bartimaeus, Jericho is not a city. It's a prison, a prison that he can't leave. There is nothing desirable about him or his situation. How many of you would be counting the injustices, shaking your fist at God, ready to accuse him of it all? This is totally unfair. I can't, you cannot see <laughs> no money forced to live in dangerous, terrible conditions. Or even worse, how many of you would have given up all hope and just said, and just not tried, just uh, given up and just laid at the roadside, not, not even asking for money, uh, dependent on the mercy of those who happen to see you and drop a coin, drop, drop food by you. This is a desperate situation. And it made Bartimaeus come to the end of himself. He could see that he needed saving. And it made him all the more desperate for it when the only one who could save him came by. Let me ask you, what, what is your situation like today? Are you, are you dissatisfied? Are you desperate? And out of that desperation, out of that dissatisfaction, are you trying to work it out all by yourself? Has your dissatisfaction caused you to wander from girlfriend to girlfriend, boyfriend to boyfriend? Has it caused you to go from job to job or even church to church? Maybe that was the reason you decided to have a child, putting all your hopes and dreams in them, into things of this world going from one broken cistern to the next, always wandering, always believing that the grass is greener on the other side. And the next fulfilled goal will get rid of that gnawing feeling of, it's, of it not being enough, of it not satisfying you. 
Or maybe, maybe you're not desperate because you believe the gospel of this world, that you are perfect in and of yourself, and that you don't need God saying in unison with James and John that you are able. It's my hope that this passage will reveal to you that you are not. See your blindness through Bartimaeus. See your blindness for what it is and cry out to the only one who can save you. He's within shouting distance. And as you see in these next few verses, he is ready and willing to save. Verses 49 through 52 say, And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. My second point for today is that Jesus hears and answers our desperate cries. Again, let's first, let's first take a step back and recognize how Christ graciously condescends and decides to go through Jericho, of all places, on his way to Jerusalem. This is the first city that we are told about that he comes to after coming back from beyond the Jordan River. You would not be hearing about Bartimaeus in the first place if Christ decided to travel a different route. All that to say that we are able to see Christ's heart and all of his actions. Everything he says, everything he does, truly reveals who he is. It is revelation of the triune God. So when we are told Jesus stopped and told his disciples to call Bartimaeus, you not only see Christ's unspeakable kindness to Bartimaeus, but also to his disciples. It's not only Bartimaeus' physical blindness he's taking away during this. He's also slowly but surely removing the disciples' spiritual blindness as he involves them in this miracle. He is constantly preparing and growing them even when they do not totally understand. What a blessing it would be to be a part, to, to be told by Christ that you are, you are to send the message to this blind man that he is to come to Christ, that it is your responsibility to make sure that this man makes it to Christ. What a blessing it would be. What a blessing it is that we see in this passage to be a part of any part of God's plan. And while we know that they have seen this episode before, the disciples have been, they've seen Christ perform many miracles. They've seen him, uh, they've seen him repair lakes. They've seen him raise up people from, from the grave. The thing which sticks out is who Jesus is telling them to call. 
a poor, blind man who can offer nothing to their cause. You have to remember, they are on their way to Jerusalem. Christ has set his face like flint on his way to Jerusalem. And they are convinced the Messiah will become the political ruler and conquer Rome as soon as they get there. They believe that the, the kingdom of God will come crashing down as soon as Christ enters the gates of that heavenly city. And surely, surely, if the rich young ruler that we see earlier in this chapter didn't make the cut, then this guy has no chance, right? The disciples probably thought Christ would never give this man the light of day at this point in his journey with the purpose that he is setting out. So they took it upon themselves to make sure that he doesn't even bother them. They rebuke, you remember they rebuke Bartimaeus and tell him to be silent, but they couldn't have been more wrong. Jesus stops, calls him, and Bartimaeus throws off his cloak, most likely the only thing of value he owned. It would have served as his seat by day and his bed by night. In, the, in this, we, see, we, we really get to see the contrast of Bartimaeus and the rich young ruler. How willingly Bartimaeus threw off all that he had compared to the rich young ruler who wouldn't, go, he wouldn't give up any of all his riches. And as he springs up and comes bounding to Christ, you need to see the infinite, eternal, holy creator of the universe. This is this is so important, so good to see how we see the infinite, eternal, holy creator of the universe ask this blind beggar how he can serve him. How, how insane is that? What, he tells him, what do you want me to do for you? This, this is Christ's heart for his people. He tells us in, in Mark 10, 45, he, he tells us he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And while it is seen clearest and most fully on the cross, again, we need to recognize this in every one of his words and every one of his actions. Notice also that this is the same question that he asked James and John. But this time we see a totally different answer. James and John wanted worldly glory in their own power, while Bartimaeus wanted to be shown mercy from the one who is all-powerful. James and John viewed Christ as a means to make their names great, to be given power for all for themselves. But Bartimaeus recognizes that he can do nothing apart from Christ. He is helpless. It's ironic that the, eye, the ones with eyes are not able to see who Jesus is or his mission, while the one who is blind does see. He recognizes that it is Christ's name alone that is worthy to be exalted and calls Christ rabbi, his master and teacher. How is he able to do this? This is the first time that, presumably the first time that he has ever heard Christ's words. And, and although this was the first time, 
Bartimaeus had spoken to him face to face. Christ's spirit had already gone out and used, he used the means, he used the reports of Christ's mighty acts and miracles that he had heard to teach Bartimaeus the truth, to reveal to him who Christ is and to know Christ before even speaking a word to Christ. Bartimaeus is begging for mercy so his, so his physical blindness might be brought in line with his spiritual sight. His motivation is not in himself or for himself. It's for the kingdom of God. And what is Christ's response? Christ responds by telling him to go his way. His faith has made him well. His faith has made him well. And again, we see the grace of God on full display here. With a word, <laughs> there, is no, there is nothing else, but only with a word, Christ makes him to see. And that's, that's not because Christ even needed to speak. That is for our sake, that we are able to see it. He makes him able to see. He tells him that his faith has made him well. But what exactly does Christ mean by that? Is he praising Bartimaeus for picking himself up by his own bootstraps and relying on himself, bringing him to, uh, in his own power, bringing him to Christ? Is he saying that Bartimaeus, at the end of the day, is just a better person than James and John, and that is why he is granting his request? You just have more faith than James, you have more faith than James and John do. It's, that's not at all what he's saying. In order to rightly understand what's going on here and what Jesus means when he uses, when he says that Bartimaeus' faith has made him well, it's important to ask a couple questions just to clarify our terms and to recognize what it is that, that faith is. So the first, the first question is, what is faith? And the second, where does this faith come from? Thankfully, we can look at scripture and see clear answers for both of those questions. Always remember that Scripture is the best interpreter of Scripture. So to answer this first question, we need to look at the book of Hebrews, which tells us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. So there we have our definition of faith. We get our definition of faith there. So in a sense, to bring, even to, to bring that down and, and see it in our, our daily life. Some of you may have uh, used the word faith all the time, but some of you may have never even heard of, uh, never used that word in your, daily, in your daily parlance. But in a sense, it is to put your trust in something and to act in line with that trust. And you, you do this every day, whether you call it faith or not, Right? Whether it be in the chair that you looked at and chose to sit down in this morning as you were planning on making it, or, or, or if it was in the uh, putting your faith in your car as you were planning on making it to church this morning, you put your faith that it would be able to bring you here. You have good reason to trust these things. And are able to because you've experienced these things before, right? These are, these are natural things. These are things that you do every day that we interact with. 
every single day. This is part of the, the natural world, so to speak. But the faith that Christ is talking about, the faith that, that give, Hebrews gives us a definition for, is not talking about faith in something in the natural world. It is something in the supernatural, which we have no experience of in and of ourselves. The, the passage that Terry Lee uh, read to us earlier as, as he was welcoming, welcoming us tells us in Ephesians, tells us that saving faith in Christ is by grace. It is entirely the gift of God changing us to see Christ for who he truly is. And when we see Christ for who he truly is, we, we can do nothing else but love him. You are always, uh, going from this, I mean, you are always going to, to do, you're always going to choose what you believe will make you happy. Think about that for a second. You spend time watching movies, videos, learning new things, picking up new hobbies. And you also just don't do them. You think about doing them as well. You talk about doing them. And there is a real enjoyment which comes from that. But Christian, no matter what stage you are at in your walk, it is all too easy to get caught up in the good things God has given you. Uh, to get caught up with them in themselves and to see those things as separate from seeking the Lord. This is deadly. And you need, you need to check this temptation within you as often as possible. Constantly examine your life. Ask yourself, why are you doing the things that you are doing? Ask yourself, is Christ actually what you desire? Do you truly see him for who he, do you truly see him for who he is? As Paul tells us in his letter to the Corinthians, you are to do everything to the glory of God. Those of you who are blind to who Christ truly is, why do you continue to spend your money on that which is not bread and your labor on that which is not satisfying? Ask yourself these questions. How many disappointments is it going to take to make you think that you have life figured out? Well, the reality is you're missing the entire point of life. Repent of your ways and cry out to Christ for he will not answer if you do not cry out to him. Some of you here today are living in the gap between verses 49 through 50 where we see Christ tells his disciples to call him and Bartimaeus springing up. You are desperate and you hear Christ calling to you. Trust in him. Throw off your cloak and come to him. Leave the prison your sin has made for you. He knows your burdens better than you do. He who made this world and made it good condescended to take on the sins of his people. For you have rebelled against a holy, just God, and God is the only one who can save you. Look to Christ. See him calling, hear him calling, and look. Look to the cross and cry out to God to heal your spiritual blindness. 
And you can be confident that it is by grace, through faith, that your spiritual blindness will be healed. So you may see without a doubt that Christ is true rest. He's true happiness. All of the promises of God find their yes and amen in Christ. And as we continue to look at verse 52, we get a fuller picture of what it means for Christ to be our happiness. Let's look again at verse 52. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately, immediately, he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. My third point for the day is that those who receive their sight follow Jesus. Christ tells Bartimaeus to, to go his way. But you quickly find out that Bartimaeus' way is now wherever Christ is going. Much like Moses, when he is calling out to God uh, and telling him that he will not go to the promised land if the Lord does not lead. He will stay with the Lord. Bartimaeus goes with Christ on the way from Jericho to Jerusalem. Out of Christ's life-changing actions, Bartimaeus can only respond in one way. There's only one way that is fitting. Christ draws Bartimaeus to himself so he may be filled by him and live for him. This is important for you to see. And again, speaks to the nature of saving faith. We see that it is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, it's not seen, and it is a gift of God. And that it also drives us to, to seek after God, to want to know him more. To be healed of spiritual blindness is more than just being able to see. It is a grace of God that we not only know who God is, but love him as well. Imagine Bartimaeus going back to sit down and begging by the roadside, doing the exact same things, living in the same discomforts and worries he had before, but now his eyes are fixed. It's ridiculous to even think about. Or imagine Bartimaeus going from there, barely acknowledging what Christ has done for him. Just a head nod, say, hey, thanks, thanks, Jesus, and then just leaving. Going out, getting a job, making a living, without giving a second thought to Christ. Without giving a second thought to the one who has changed his life completely. You would rightfully judge him to be one of the most ungrateful people you have ever heard of. Yet, how many of those who would claim to be followers of Christ of guilt, are guilty of acting in the same way? Going back to the same life of sin and imprisonment, completely out of line with the calling of Christ. Barely giving a thought to your Savior. Barely giving a thought to the one who is completely, radically changed your life. 
Do not be like the dog which returns to its own vomit, as the author of Proverbs warns us. For freedom, Christ has set you free. He has not set us free for a life of slavery, for a life of further slavery. We are called to be, to be his children, to live freely in him. We are called to be holy as he is holy. As he is holy. Every single aspect of your life should be changed as Christ is Lord over every single aspect of your life. And what I'm really trying to get at here is that it is not enough to merely agree in your mind, intellectually, what Scripture tells us who Christ is. You need to respond with action. To say you know Christ, but to not love him, is in reality not to know him at all. And while this command should be a wake-up call, and this, this story should be a wake-up call of Bartimaeus following Christ on the road, it should be an even greater comfort to you who know and love Christ. Look back at the place Christ has called you out of and see where you are now. And give glory to God. One of the, or if you struggle at self-reflection, one of the great aspects of Christian community is the building up and encouragement you receive from a fellow believer who is able to recognize Christ's work in your life and bring it to your attention when you are unable to. You cannot, over, you cannot overestimate the importance of making Christ or making Sunday, the Sunday gathering, a priority, as well as meeting with brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the week. God has given us these invaluable tools to be able to know him, albeit imperfectly, in this life. But we need to use all these tools. We need to use all these tools that God has graciously given us when we, when we neglect to, we are neglecting the love of God. We are neglecting the grace of God. We need to use these tools, though, to, to, to look back at our lives, to look at our lives, to, to self-examine. Ultimately, not to see our greatness, but to see God's kindness, his goodness, and his mercy towards us. And be able to recognize that he has never stopped loving us. He has never stopped being merciful to us. Would you claim to be able to see? If you would, then joyfully prove it by, by following Christ on the road from Jericho to Jerusalem. From the city in revolt, in the domain of darkness, to the heavenly city of Christ's kingdom. Recognize Christ's call on our lives. Recognize Christ's lordship in, our li in every aspect of your life. And recognize that Christ knows what is better for us than we do. And that to trust him is to, is to obtain eternal life. To trust and know him is to obtain eternal life and eternal joy, eternal happiness as we experience communion with the, again, with the triune God.
My blindness caused me to not recognize my dad. And the only thing it cost me was a little embarrassment and some time. But our spiritual blindness causes us to not recognize our own father. And the cost is infinitely more severe. That is not an exaggeration. It is infinitely more severe than anything we can imagine. The, the highest heights are at stake and the lowest depths are at stake. To not be able to wreck, to be spiritually blind, to not be able to recognize your father, our, our father leads to eternal death. But praise be to God. We have a merciful, loving Savior who hears the desperate cries of his people. Jesus alone opens the spiritual eyes, opens our spiritual eyes. He opens your spiritual eyes in order to have true sight, which knows and loves him and leads to eternal life. Let's pray.